Good day and welcome to our Coronavirus Care Community of Practice program. Today's title is The Essential Worker Toolbox. We are going to cover 10 categories of concepts, tools, and resources that leaders of essential workers, those that take care of us, that protect us, that uh, are our police departments, our fire departments, EMS, but also those in the food supply chain and energy, and those that manage emergency preparedness at our great universities. Um, this is in effect a sampler or a menu sampler experience because we won't take a, too, a super deep dive in any one of the topics because we have many hours of content that we can share with you. First off, it's important for all of us to realize we are right in the heart of the Delta surge. Uh, and this graph is from the IHME, uh, which is the most one of the most respected models that are uh, modeling and making projections. And as you can see, uh, uh, the worst projection uh, is a very serious one, even if we don't, uh, don't hit the peak uh, between what they project and the peak is a pretty serious consequence. When we look at where we've come and we look back at our absolute peak, where we had a tremendous number of infections and uh, deaths, and we had the elderly population at risk, but also children, uh, we are heading towards uh, potentially the same kind of peak, even though we've got a significant number of, of people vaccinated. Let's just remember that we are talking about children as well. And these are two young people who actually passed away while they were in quarantine. And one, because the test result wasn't handy, of two entirely healthy young people prior to Delta. And this was prior to Delta. So it's important for us to kind of realize that as we, as we get started. So typically we start with the voice of the patient, which we will in just a minute, but we just wanted to remind you and focus on what we're here today to tackle. We're actually the public is 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 been welcome to join us, but this program really is to talk about our essential critical workers and leaders. And we want to propose two concepts. One is the chief health security officer for an organization, and the chief family officer, who, which we've been addressing for for fifteen months. But it really we're at a critical time where we really need to take charge. One of the questions is. For those who you're responsible for, be it your family or for your staff and your team, do you really know what to do uh, if somebody is exposed to an infected person? Do you know what to do now if they're infected and asymptomatic? What if they're infected and probably pre-symptomatic? And what do you do if they've been close to someone? What if they're symptomatic and infected, severely symptomatic, what if they require emergency care and hospitalization? And what about I, the ICU? And those of us that uh, are responsible for employees and teams who are exposed on a daily basis, we really need to understand what this is about. Now, the graphic that I show you here today really addresses uh, a number of the time periods that were back before Delta. And this came from a Guardian article, and we integrated uh, the bar charts and kind of a Gantt uh, sort of layout, because this is a pretty complex set of circumstances, especially when we're managing this for other people. Now, what we want to remind you, and we'll come back to this, and this is in our program, and we're curating the content to update um, the infectious period. Uh, when, when tests apply, when do we apply quarantine? When do we apply isolation? 
I myself have a son in quarantine right now, having been having a close exposure to another young person who was documented to be infected. And we've had multiple antigen tests and we're waiting on a PCR test. It, things have changed. And we want to remind you, this was pre-Delta. The definition of a close contact pre-Delta was some was being within six feet of someone with COVID-19 for a total of 15 minutes over a 24-hour period. It's still on the CDC website. However, we've got a much more infectious agent, much more likely to be aerosol risk, and you don't need to be exposed as long as you did before with the Hunan um, original virus or with the alpha variant from the United Kingdom. We've now got Delta. Also, those of us that talk about our kids in school, and I know we have Chief Adcox on, and we have uh, Randy Steiner on, and we have Paul Cross on, all who lead people that are exposed at the front line, but they've also got kids. And as we think about it, um, the exception for children is those that were correctly wearing masks. Now, what does that mean? And it's not defined. And the mask type is not defined. So our public health guidelines are woefully behind in catching up with the science that our scientists are telling us about. What about those of you that have staff who have to travel? Um, do you have a real good protocol? Do you understand it and have you kept up with it? These are the challenging things that we're gonna take today. Uh, my name is Charles Denham, and for those of you that haven't been with us before, uh, I am uh, the chairman of TMIT Global and a co-founder of the Mantec Bystander Rescue Care Program with uh, one of our esteemed colleagues, Chief Adcox, uh, and Dr. Greg Boats, who will be recorded today. Those of you that are watching the full-length 90-minute or longer program today, uh, you'll be able to watch it in entirety, and it will have video clips I'll mention in today's session uh, that will extend it longer, and you'll be able to go to our website to be able to follow it. What you see on slide 13 is the current website. However, what we've decided to do as of last month is to break up our, our teaching programs, these survive and thrive guides that we've developed into much shorter segments. And so on your phone, you can listen to a 15 minute, a 10 minute, a seven minute, uh, um, a three minute uh, section and be able to go back to that. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't address our disclosure statement. None of our speakers today um, uh, have anything to disclose. No funding, direct, indirect, or affiliated in any way has come from the healthcare device or pharmaceutical industry. We have no financial relationships with any of those. Um, also, uh, our purpose, mission, and values are critical to us. Um, our purpose, for those of you that haven't heard it before, is that we are focused on and we measure our success by how we protect and enrich the lives of families, patients, and caregivers. Our mission is to tackle projects that save lives, save money, and create value in the communities we serve. We're pretty serious about measurement. Uh, uh, my background in biomedical engineering has really driven uh, uh, my focus on measurement. And we also measure our behavior, uh, and our behaviors are tied to our values. Integrity, compassion, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship, they spell I care, and we try to live those. Um, I'd like to introduce Jennifer Dingman today. Jennifer is uh, has been with us for many, many years. Jennifer is has come to the patient safety movement through a loss of someone close to her and her family, as have many of our, our family members who articulate the voice of the patients. Um, in her course of her trajectory, she's been a published author, 
we have uh, uh, worked with her on national and federal uh, programs. And most noteworthy is that she's a winner of the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award for her work with the other advocates that meet every other Saturday, still after 12 years, who helped put the hospital acquired conditions over the goal line, a federal pay for performance program. Uh, and we're waiting for the final numbers, but uh, but one of the former government employees has said that uh, the program that Jennifer was a part of uh, led to uh, over 250,000 uh, lives uh, saved and tens of billions of dollars. And we're waiting for that to finally be published. Jennifer, would you please start us off today. And Kyle, do we have uh, Jennifer on? Uh, we'll move on for a moment and come back to Jennifer. We're uh, very blessed to have uh, a, a terrific uh, group of speakers uh, and reactors. Some are on video, some are uh, will be live. Uh, they represent a number of uh, leadership roles in not only law enforcement, security, emergency preparedness, uh, the training of people that are first responders, educators, EMTs, uh, and also students. And we're delighted to be focused on that. Now, typically our coronavirus community of practice has been focused uh, on the essential critical workers defined by the Homeland Security. And there were originally 16, which you see on the slide before you, essential critical infrastructure workers, those that have to protect us, uh, law enforcement, fire, EMS, emergency services, caregivers, but also many of the uh, critical services, including finance, transportation systems, water, energy, and the food supply. However, in, in August of 2020, all educators and those who uh, serve educators as vendors and service providers were included in the in the group of essential critical workers. And so we're delighted to have them uh, uh, to be serving them. And our coronavirus community of practice actually originated to serve them. We had quite a shock, however, and we found that our program had uh, had uh, had begun to appeal to the general public. And so now we have the general public uh, involved in these programs with us. And so we're delighted to have those of you in the general public as well. This program developed out of the original MedTAC, MedTAC the term meaning merging the best medical practices with the best tactical practices for the eight leading cause of causes of death. And, and Chief Adcox, who's with us today, and Dr. Greg Boats, who's with us on a, a recording, uh, uh, along with uh, uh, Charlie Denham, my son, were co-founders of this program to focus on these eight leading causes of death. Uh, what's happened is the is the campus safety magazine identified that a number of the 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 subject matter content areas the concepts tools and resources that we were covering uh, would be a, a help to them and their audience and uh, we're very pleased to to share that uh, our latest article our sixth article regarding take the shot save a life focused on the vaccination conversation will be published on Friday. Uh, the other articles uh, apply uh, to this area that you see on the far left, but today's webinar um, has very specific focus uh, on coronavirus and COVID and being able to help your family. Uh, and so the last two articles, the Family Safety Plan article and Take the Shot, Save a Life uh, are there. For those of you that want a deep dive on our program, we've just published 
uh, by video, uh, a, a video that actually articulates our entire history, which I won't cover uh, now. On slide 22, uh, you can see the work that has been undertaken since March of last year, um, 34 90-minute broadcasts, 13 survive and tr thrive training programs. And we've undertaken a study of more than 1,000 households, 1,000 family units. And we say that a family unit might be college students that are together and they live in a household, uh, and that would be included in a family unit. On our website, uh, you could go and you'll be able to go and view this program in broken down segments. Our last, uh, se our last program includes uh, a number of the topics which you see. We have short topics that are four to 10 minutes. We have our Survive and Thrive 90-minute courses. And last, last month and this month likely will be longer, but broken up into separate segments. Uh, and they cover a range of topics which we're going to cover today. So the, the 12 uh, topics you see there, in addition to a 13th and 14th, are uh, the Survive and Thrive program. For those of you that don't know us, uh, we originally developed a network of about uh, 3,100 hospitals and 3,000 communities, having worked in the area of patient safety and quality. And over since 1984, we've been able to assemble and draw from a wonderful group of, of volunteer uh, subject matter experts, a pool of uh, doctors, nurses, as uh, security leaders, threat safety science leaders like, uh, uh, like Chief Adcox today, uh, but a number from education, uh, infectious disease, EMT, and a number of different areas. We drew on that group to put this community of practice together, uh, which now, uh, we, now we draw from the group of 130 subject matter experts, in addition to drawing on our library of content from two Discovery Channel films you see at the bottom of the page, uh, and a third film in production right now, Three Minutes and Counting, Bystanders Care, and a fourth, uh, which we'll be announcing shortly, uh, which is uh, Best Responders, First Responders, uh, which we will be uh, producing with leadership from uh, the continuum of law enforcement, EMS, uh, emergency medicine, uh, and fire. Uh, our study of uh, more than a thousand households led us uh, with a wonderful group of collaborators. Uh, we were able to pull family households from a number of these organizations you see before you, uh, as well as the general public to, 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 to make three discoveries. And the discoveries that we came up with, uh, which others I'm sure are discovering as well, um, are that family transmission chains are really the Achilles heel uh, of our national community. We have more people getting infections from their community through their family members because they spend more time in close contact with them. And it makes sense because of the aerosol nature uh, of COVID than they do on the job. And many of you are doing a great job protecting your workers on the job, but two thirds of their time is spent at home. And if we can break these family transmission chains and we can save the families from infection, we can then save the worker. So that's the hypothesis. Our three discoveries were number one, that family chains were the Achilles heel. Our second discovery was that families really do want to prevent infections. And our third, which we'll cover today in a little bit more detail, is that, that, that COVID virus, viral infections in families and extended families have an enormous financial impact uh, on, uh, on your workers and on their work. Couple of things in the news. 
We just want to draw your attention to the to an article in the Wall Street Journal that then highlighted a video, which we will not play in our short our short version, live version today, but we'll play in our longer version. Is the science behind why the Delta variant is spreading? It's an excellent video. It's on YouTube, and you can stream it from their site as well as ours. It's a, a terrific overview of why the Delta variant and the future variants are so much more important uh, to your family than the original virus that uh, originated in China. I'm often asked, Dr. Denham, where do you get your information uh, and Chief Adcox and, and Dr. Boats, who's our clinical team leader and uh, a number of our emergency medicine leaders from UCSF and UCI and the Mayo Clinic, where are you all getting your information? One great source, I listened to it this morning, every Thursday uh, uh, of the month, the third Thursday of the, or every Thursday of the week, um, you will be able to access for free uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm uh, of SIDRAP. Excellent, great source of information. Uh, he has been right all the way down the line. I listened to it this morning and, and it was terrific. So I highly recommend this free resource. The second thing is, a, is an article came out yesterday regarding our children. And it's important to note uh, and note this, that, uh, that our COVID-19 rates for adolescents 5 to 17 were as high as adults 18 to 49 and higher than adults over 50. So it's old data to say the kids are not getting sick. It's absolutely critical. The second is uh, a study in Lancet came out yesterday uh, that showed that those who are vaccinated and have breakthrough infections have uh, a reduction uh, by half of getting infected, uh, uh, even if they just get infected. And the third that I wanna address, which I'll address in more detail and have Chief Adcox and Randy Snyder, uh, Steiner and the other leaders kind of react to, is the financial impact. Long COVID is a time bomb. More than, more than two thirds have symptoms at six months. I'll cover this in a little bit more detail. This is not only a clinical time bomb, it's an operational time bomb for those of you that have a number of frontline uh, officers, uh, firemen, um, uh, policemen, uh, and those of you at medical centers that are not vaccinated. Uh, we're talking about long-term healthcare costs, but it's a financial time bomb to those of, uh, of you, even those that have insurance. And we'll come back to that. Now, the next topic is really, I brought up the issue of what about a chief health security officer? Does an organization need it? Look, before uh, the COVID, I believe they probably did. Now I think it's critical. And they ha someone has to take charge of the organization's issues. Um, we like to say that surfers will leverage the wave and make things happen. Swimmers will tread water and what, watch what happens. And our swimmers will and our swimmers will watch what happens, and our sinkers will wonder what happened. What do we mean by that? The surfers will leverage the wave and know what's going on, be able to anticipate things. We'll talk about the four Ps in a little bit uh, uh, and, and what we can do. The swimmers are just going to watch what happens. And, and they're really, you know, many of them are going to have an enormous uh, amount, at least, of operational uh, shortfalls and degradation of performance. But the singers, the sinkers will drown and wonder what happened. And um, a passive approach to Delta is a huge mistake. So, so what do we mean by this? Well, the public health has to make trade-offs for the entire population. 
And in our companies, we may have to make trade-offs for business. And in a future webinar, we'll talk about the three options of act, delay, or deny. You can act now and spend dark green dollars that are cash and light green dollars at capacity and move fast. You can delay and pay more, or you can deny and expect that everything's going to work out. But as we think about our family health, we all would pay more and do more to spare our family. It's now time to take charge. So what's it, what could be a chief health security officer? You know, the best role model I can think of is Dr. Boats, who you'll hear from in, in a minute. He's the chief, uh, he's the chief medical officer for, for Chief uh, Adcock's uh, police department. And he is actually watching and paying attention to not only the clinical, but the operational and the financial issues and potential risk of the employees. Because if you save the worker, if you save the family, you save the worker. If you save the worker, you save your organization. What's the chief family officer? They have to take charge for the family and be able to take actions, the actions necessary to be able to prevent the harm, damage, death, uh, and, and how a COVID can pillage my family. They also have to look at the clinical, operational, and financial issues of the health security of the family. So what we like to say is that the public health uh, the guidelines from your CDC, your state, your county, and your city, they're doing the best job they can. They're doing a terrific job with precious few resources, and the science is evolving. But every family really needs to create a family plan that has to go beyond what the guidelines are. We, we say that these, these public health leaders, and I was on faculty of one of our, our public health schools in Boston, I have to tell you that, that there's only so much that we can do to tell the public the what. What's critical is that the public needs to know the how. And that's what we've been trying to do through this coronavirus crisis, is take the what from the CDC and then focus on what's the how. The goal, what's the goal? The goal is to turn science into safety. We need to turn the science into safety. And for you in an organization, that means that you can turn the science, the, the science into safety and the safety into success. So that's our goal. What I'd like to do right now uh, is, um, is uh, play a video of Dr. Uh, Dr. Boats. Uh, Dr. Boats is, is uh, one of our uh, absolute, uh, absolutely terrific critical care uh, doctors. Uh, he is a professor, a full professor at the University of Texas uh, in Houston in critical care and anesthesia. He's also a full professor, adjunct professor at Stanford University. Uh, I, he's one of my heroes. He gets on a plane frequently to fly to California to help teach residents and nurses. Uh, and he has been a real lead and leading both uh, myself and Chief Adcox down the path of the best clinical care we can deliver. And then we'll hear from Heather Foster. Dr. Boats, we're now in September of 2021. Should we be taking this Delta viral variant and perhaps the future viral variants set seriously? Absolutely. Uh, we're still in the midst of a pandemic and we're in what seems to be the fourth wave. I think the difference now is that we have a population that may be vaccinated and some that may not be vaccinated. But what we know is that this variant and variants that will come soon after may have more infectivity and be more easily transmitted than the original virus we saw last year. 
So it's crucially important that we take it seriously and we use the measures that we've talked about over the last year and a half to try to protect ourselves and our loved ones and our community. Dr. Boats, how important are checklists and being able to follow a guide for action when we're under stress and when perhaps the, the, the virus has hit our family or loved ones? Well, I think it's very important. Uh, it's important enough for, uh, for pilots to use checklists to make sure they don't miss something in a very complex, time-pressured environment like flight. It's important for checklists in the operating room and in other high-stakes activities. In the face of the viral pandemic, using a checklist as a cognitive aid to make sure you don't forget uh, one or more steps in your safe practice, I think is essential. It offloads the stress associated with forgetting something in your plan. As essential critical worker leaders assess how they could use our toolbox to help with their employees, having a step-by-step -step plan for the various scenarios really makes sense because it's kind of hard to act right in the midst of when some of these things happen. Is that a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. I think it's essential to have a plan for how to address the response, the readiness, the willingness to act when faced with someone who's infected with the COVID virus. Uh, we don't always perform well in the heat of the moment. In fact, we know that as the military says, we don't rise to the occasion, we often fall to the level of our training. And so having a plan in place, being ready to face any of these challenges makes us more ready to respond effectively when we have to deal with someone in our family or in our extended family in our community who's been infected with the coronavirus. Well, thank you, Dr. Boats. Uh, again, you're an ICU taking care of patients and we really appreciate you taking time away from your care of patients to help us. Thank you very much. So Heather Foster is an, uh, another one of my heroes. Heather was managing a number of families that have infections in a rural community while she was helping us with the checklist that you'll see shortly on how to take care of patients. Uh, a winner of the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award, uh, a tireless champion for her patients, but also a frequent speaker from the front line, a frontline nurse that takes care of patients every single day. Uh, uh, Heather, thank you so much for all you've done to help us and love to have you kind of react to the idea of where we are today with Delta and how important it is to get organized as a family to tackle it. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Chuck, and thanks for that introduction. Um, you know, I think as we move forward and <clears throat> and navigate these waters, uh, front, front, uh, front care healthcare workers are are tired, and um, we're still. The story has not changed. We are still in that process of making sure that we uh, flatten the curve. Um, with each variant that arises, I feel like we take two steps forward and three steps back. But eventually we will get through this as long as we um, take those uh, standards of care seriously. I think um, the Delta variant has been proven to be pretty um, 
uh, nasty. Uh, so with that being said, uh, do we have potential uh, worsening variants like Dr. Boats mentioned? I think so. Uh, again, the narrative hasn't changed. With that, I think these checklists that we've created just serve as a reminder that we're still in the fight, um, but that these tools can be effective in, in protecting those who are most vulnerable. Thank you so much, Heather. And we'll be coming back to you shortly as we talk about care of family members at home, which is uh, now increasingly important because many of our hospitals are turning patients away that they might normally admit and watch uh, and are having to care for them at home. And families are running huge risks taking them to the hospital and bringing them home. So we'll be coming back to you. It's now a real pleasure to introduce uh, Chief uh, Bill Adcox, an award-winning leader, a national leader, a pioneer of threat safety science, a co-founder of our MedTech program dating back to, uh, to the, uh, the fall of 2015 when we launched MedTAC tackling the eight leading causes of death and who would have ever thought that our community of practice bill in emerging threats that identified pandemics as something keeping us up at night would then put us in squarely in the middle of this, uh, this hurricane. Uh, Chief Adcox, uh, your thoughts as someone who is leading first responders, but also as a thought leader in the area of threat management and threat safety science. Thank you very much, Dr. Denham and uh, everybody on the panel and, and everybody that's participating today and, and viewing this uh, webinar. This is very critical. Um, you know, when we think about the trauma of the, of the pandemic, the ongoing, you know, reckoning of uh, around the racial equalities in our country, um, and even the, the polarization and, and the contentiousness in our political system, you know, these, these things have all come together at the same time and created a tremendous amount of stress and pressure and distrust amongst everyone. And so all we're trying to do is to, is to you know, remove all that, take the high road, do our very best for our fellow human being and explain the science. And, and that's what we're doing. In the United States, probably about 4% of the world's population, but the latest numbers I saw is that we're seeing about 20% of the new infections, the new COVID infections in the world. But that, that in itself should tell us we have to do a lot. Uh, and we're doing a lot in, in, in our workplace, certainly. Uh, we're vaccinations and distancing and all kinds of really proactive uh, measures, whether it's masking, et cetera. Uh, but what we're doing with this program is taking way beyond that and dealing with putting the right types of systems in place, putting the right types of leadership in place, whether the chief financial officer, the new concept of the chief health security officer, et cetera. We're putting the pieces and parts into place so we can help everybody. Utilizing these checklists, availing yourself to this information is very critical. Uh, and on a personal note, I, I never would have known, you know, what when to take uh, a family member to the hospital had I not been part of, of this program and research. I wouldn't have had an, an oximeter at home to measure the oxygen level uh, while resting and seeing if it's dropping. I wouldn't have thought about how many respirations a person should have before it becomes serious enough to take them to the hospital. I wouldn't have known about uh, the many things about the quarantining and, and what to look for and, and how to really protect my family. So all I can say is that, you know, we, we really do hope that everybody, not just first responders and persons in healthcare, but everybody, you know, uh, 
take advantage of this information and do the very best you can for yourself and for your families and, and also the people that you work around. Thank you, Dr. Denham. Thank you uh, so much, Chief. And we really appreciate all that you uh, do to help us with this program. You've been a, a real champion of, uh, of the cause and have deployed this through your hundreds of staff that you have at MD Anderson. And congratulations on MD Anderson uh, winning again the honor roll and being the number one cancer center uh, by US News and World Report. You all have just done a phenomenal job. I'm honored to have had the opportunity to do some of my training there. I'd like to now introduce Randy Steiner. Randy is the Director of Emergency Management at the University of California, Irvine. He's actually a best-selling author of a book that he wrote uh, about a plane crash that he sustained and experienced in his family at, with the loss of his, his, his mother. And he, we've had a, a, just a wonderful opportunity to work with Randy. He's also a, a scout leader and helped co-lead a search and rescue scout program that we launched here uh, in the last uh, uh, couple of years. Randy is, uh, is a leader at UCI and working together very closely with the, the college EMT teams and uh, the emergency medicine leadership of uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Fox, Dr. Chris Fox, who was on in our last couple of uh, months. Randy, uh, you, you have the unique perspective of uh, leading at a, a very large organization that is also part of a much larger organization, which are the University of California uh, universities. What message would you have for those in your role and those in the role of leading essential critical workers regarding both at work and their families? Thanks, Chuck, and thanks for having me on. I'd say probably a primary message I would have is, is continue to be vigilant, um, you know, as everybody is agreeing to in this conversation, this, this is not over. Uh, the Delta variant is continues to spike. Uh, new variants are coming out, which are even more scary. You know, there's a, a, obviously a big push to find the balance between, you know, safety and getting back to a, a sense of normal on the, the college campus community. Um, you know, our, our, fortunately, our leadership at UC working with the CSU has worked really hard for the last several months to develop really a consistent uh, set of guidelines for that safe returning to campus, you know, including uh, mandatory vaccine requirements or waiver requirements, um, you know, uh, testing for, you know, vaccinated and non-vaccinated people uh, alike, um, you know, daily symptom checking, making that required for all staff, faculty, and students, and just continuing to reassess those guidelines, you know, as we move forward into the, the upcoming uh, uh, terms for, for campus. Um, you know, we're constantly assessing our, our, you know, as we have throughout the pandemic, our, our cleaning protocol, our quarantine protocol, you know, setting aside um, housing for quarantine for students that are on campus, um, you know, our protocol for how do we deal with uh, positive cases on campus and, and how we move forward, you know, with, with notifying the campus community and making sure that everybody's safe. Our mask requirements remain the same, um, you know, and we're developing those requirements sort of independently from whatever, you know, political winds are blowing out there. We're looking at the science and the safety of the, uh, the virus. Um, you know, masks are still required indoors, they're required outdoors uh, for large gatherings, for people who are unvaccinated. Um, you know, we believe in the, 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 the efficacy of wearing masks to prevent the virus. 
and you know really continue to push that vaccination message, which we've gotten uh, from our, our our campus community a really good response to. People are are really getting the message of the vaccine as being sort of the ultimate um, you know protective measure, at least currently for the for the Delta variant. And you know we're continuing to push that message. We're still um, can, although our, our large vaccination site on campus that ran for several months at the beginning of the year has shut down, we still are delivering vaccinations through our student health center. Uh, my program, my team continues to support those efforts, as well as all the efforts on campus. You know, we continue our, our logistical support team and our return to campus committee continue to meet on a regular basis several times a week to continue to monitor these these concerns and to um, you know develop messaging and um, you know uh, uh, recommendations for our leadership, which is being really really well received. Everybody understands that this isn't over, at least in the leadership of the the campuses. And you know we're going to continue to remain vigilant, and you know as we move through this process into the foreseeable future. Great, uh, thank you so much, Randy. G great comprehensive answer. We we're going to come back to you after we go through uh, a couple of the, the the critical concepts that we want to make sure people understand. And we're going through these checklists, and would love for have to have both you and Chief uh, look at these both from the perspective as your at organization, but also in protecting your organization by protecting your fam the families of those that work with you. So we really appreciate your. Um, your thoughtfulness there, and uh, we've really, uh, uh, really appreciate uh, um, the fact that the University of California system is such a great role model, as is uh, MD Anderson. So many times, you know, those of us that are in patient care and those of us that are at major medical centers resent a little bit the idea of focusing on the finances. But I, I go back to the movie, The Right Stuff, and my, my friend David, uh, Dennis Quaid, who uh, was uh, one of the actors in The Right Stuff, uh, one of the great lines was, no bucks, no Buck Rogers. So what does that mean? Well, I think we have to be able to make the business case to our chief operating officers, those that are managing the expense side of the, 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 the ledger, and our chief financial officers, those that are managing the cash to be able to make sure that the financial health of an organization is solid. So let's just take a moment to help make our case for why we need to invest in taking care of not only our workers, but also their families. Um, so we talk about the idea of turning the science into safety and turning the safety into success. So, well, what does that mean? Well, the, on the cost side, business disruption can be monetized. Every time, Chief, you lose somebody or you lose a set of officers that cannot go and serve, you've got to figure out how you're going to cover that. And, and Randy, you at the University of California and Irvine, we know if we lose people, we've got to backfill with people. We've got to pay overtime. And there's a disruption of the service that we provide. And we know that if we have a security problem at, at Anderson in a certain area, they're not going to have the clinic flow and they've got the cost meters running, but the revenue meter is stopped. So absenteeism, those that aren't on the job because they're caring for grandma, for mom, for their daughter, their son, or they're, they're just, uh, they've, got to, they've got to take them to doctor visits. Presenteeism means they're on the job, but they're not all there. And you, you all work in very, very important areas, as, as do our caregivers, is if you're not 110% mentally in the game and taking care of patients or taking care of protecting those who you all serve and, and protecting them, uh, 
um, things can break down and people can get hurt. The cost of turnover is enormous. And that, that can be the one to 1.5 times the annual salary. We know that in nurses that that's definitely the case. Healthcare costs I'll cover in a minute, but then there's the liability. These are all, these can all be monetized. They can all be argued in terms of investing in the care of your families, of those that work for you. But what on the positive side, we actually have pretty good metrics now for the monetization to show dollars uh, that, are, that go up when employees are engaged, when you have employee lo loyalty, when you have rapid rebound after a crisis or a lockdown, when you have customer safety, customer satisfaction, all of these work together for competitive advantage. And so we cover this in a more detailed way in, in some of our videos. But I wanted to drill down right now. Uh, uh, what I wanted to do is drill down right now and focus on uh, the, on healthcare costs. Uh, COVID impact on, on the cost for your people is enormous. And we, we know that there'll be a growth between 2020 and 2021 of 8.4%. We know that the insurers are, they're gonna discontinue waiving the cost of caring for COVID. They were afraid that it was gonna be mandated. And so they said, oh, we'll waive the cost. Well, people don't realize they're pulling that rug out from under us starting in August right through to December and three quarters of the major uh, insurers are doing that right away. COVID care cost is absolutely, it's a significant number. It's a very, very big problem and we need to really focus on it. And then long-term COVID is a, is a time bomb. It is a big problem. Let's dig into this. So in 2019, uh, a family of four was about $27,000. It dropped to $26,000 uh, in 2020, but in 2021, it's going up to $28,000. Well, what, what does that mean? That means that we have uh, an, a huge amount of money that's going to have to fall on the shoulders of our consumers. Secondly, and can you, whoever's got their mic on, can you guys set, uh, uh, mute, please? Um, the insurers will stop waiving cost sharing and you can see when, how they're expiring over the next uh, uh, few months. And three out of four of the largest healthcare plans are doing that. That means your component and your staff, your employees, your first responders, their, their cost sharing, if they get sick, just went up. Um, the healthcare costs of COVID is enormous. The charges of hospitals, if you don't have healthcare insurance and no negotiated uh, uh, piece to that, is $73,000. $38,000 with network costs and the out-of-pocket costs are going to be significant. We just saw in the news here just a few days ago that Delta Airlines will now charge the unvaccinated employees $200 per month because it's costing them $50,000. Um, and how they arrived at that makes a lot of sense because um, just if you look at the direct care cost and the indirect care cost, uh, you're, you're footing an enormous bill as an employer. So I think that there's a significant uh, proportion to focus uh, on that. What about your employees? Look at your employees. It's just, it's a big, big number. We're talking, uh, sorry, there we go. Um, so the employee contribution and the out-of-pocket cost are, are going up. So we need to recognize this and, and recognize that this is a very, very big number. As we, as we look about the time bomb of COVID, think about this as you plan your year and the tiers ahead. If we are going to have surges, that more than two-thirds of uh, your folks will have, uh, will have symptoms at six months. Almost half have symptoms at 12 months. 
The most common symptom is fatigue. And in the field of frontline care and frontline law enforcement and emergency response, fatigue is, is a killer. It's a killer not only to the worker, but it's also to those that you serve. Um, almost a third have breathing difficulty at 12 months. And uh, Chief, uh, Chief Adcox and Paul, who I now know is on, and, and, um, and, and Brandy Steiner, we know if you've got breathing difficulty at 12 months, that's significant. And Heather, we know how busy you all are as ICU and frontline nurses are. If you've got breathing difficulty, can you really take care of your patients uh, as well? A lot of people think that, oh gosh, this is just the flu. 20% of non-hospitalized patients persist with symptoms. Highly recommend those of you that need it, go into the Lancet article and the Time article and watch our video as we go through it. So now let's talk about the essential worker uh, toolbox. And we're gonna talk about 10 topics. And this is, a, this is what we would call a sampling menu at a restaurant. We're not gonna do a deep dive. We're just gonna tell you what's in the toolbox, come back and watch the longer videos. But the first is the Take the Shot, Save a Life program. We put this together uh, because vaccines are so critical. The three questions everybody needs to ask are, can I catch it, can I spread it, can I get sick, and can I get long haul? Whether you're vaccinated or not, short answer, it's yes to all of them. Um, the issue is, is that uh, right now you have a, a, an eightfold reduction if you're vaccinated, if you're vaccinated of getting an infection, a 25-fold reduction in hospitalization, a 25-fold reduction in uh, death. This is critical, but you can get it whether you're vaccinated or not. And I have three friends with breakthrough infections right now. I've got a dear friend that's five-minute walk from where I live right now, who we have on a pulse oximeter, who I'm very worried about, and we're watching him closely because he's got a breakthrough infection and respiratory issues. Why is Delta so important? Because it's a combination of being way more infectious and way more, and, and more lethal. And the this, these slides that you see here come from the CDC, and they were shared. So the answer is, can I spread? The next question is, can I spread it? Yes, you can. This argues the case for a mask if you're vaccinated or if you've been previously infected. You can spread it to others whether you're vaccinated or not. It's lower, but you can if you're vaccinated. And so that's why it's so critical. And thank you, Randy, for mentioning your mask protocols and chief uh, and the chief of the emergency medicine department, the chair, uh, Dr. Fox, stated critically important to have everybody wear masks. The third question is, um, can I get sick? And the answer is absolutely, whether you're vaccinated or not, you have a reduction of potentially being symptomatic. But Delta puts a thousand times the number of viral particles in your nose and your respiratory tract than the former Hunan virus. Uh, and, and so this is why this is so lethal. This is why uh, those of you that are leading your essential workers have to tell the families, mask up, we've got to mask up. It's a totally different ball game. And then the other, and the final issue, and the data is still coming in, can you get long haul disease, damage to your organs long-term, whether you're a child, an adolescent, or an adult, absolutely can have long haul issues. One of our leaders at MD Anderson was brave enough to tell her story, the leader of emergency preparedness for your analog, actually, uh, Randy at MD Anderson, uh, told us about what she experiences. And it'll be in the middle of a meeting and have brain fog and not know what the meeting, what, what she was describing. So the vaccination conversation is absolutely critical. Uh, we put together this wonderful team of students 
I'm not going to play the video today on our short on our broke our segmented version on the web. Uh, you'll be able to go and watch the 14 minute video um, that young people can have. And basically, this is um, for high schools and college students. Uh, it was developed with and by this group of wonderful students uh, that uh, that are uh, come from fantastic universities. They're either alums, pre-med, or um, uh, or currently uh, in in schools, including Stanford, Harvard, USC, uh, UCI, UCSD, uh, UCLA. And they basically uh, help put this program together to have messages from their age group to the high school and college age group to get vaccination. So we recommend that videotape. We have anonymized it to protect our students so they, we don't have their names. We have their organizations, uh, 14 minute video with FAQs that have been uh, vetted with the science vetted by vetted by our clinical leaders, Dr. Boats and and uh, Dr. Fox and Dr. Um, Peabody from UCSF, but our students are sharing the message because students want to hear from other students, especially high school students want to hear from college students of great universities that they'd like to attend. Okay, second tool, second category in the toolbox: coming home safe. Um, we we went through the critical guidelines; they haven't changed. Actually, with Delta, there's more emphasis on some more than others. And what's critically important is we think about the hot zone, the warm zone, uh, and the safe zone. So what, what do we mean? When we, when we put together the 90-minute program, it was early in the pandemic. It was one of our first areas. And we, we focused on maintaining the best protection at work, the disinfection and storage of whatever we have, our PPE and our clothing coming home, and then what we do to maintain a safe zone. So, and, and I'll be coming back to you first, um, uh, uh, Heather Foster, as our infection control uh, uh, specialist, but also the rest of the team. Uh, this is the checklist we put together. Now that we are, now that we know that aerosol risk is so much greater and that contact surface risk is probably less. What you see highlighted is what we've updated as of September 2nd from the program that we started a year ago. We really need to avoid poorly ventilated spaces. We need to upgrade our mask to surgical level three. That would be ASTM level three uh, surgical procedure mask, but the best mask is the N95 with, very, with excellent, uh, excellent filter fit and finish. We can't touch our faces. Uh, we do that about 24 times an hour. And we need to know the process for, for reporting outbreaks. My son is downstairs where I am here today, working from home on quarantine because of close contact over the weekend, and he got sick. Uh, we're waiting for his, his, his test results. We need to understand what it, what it means to be a close contact. Um, in the warm zone, we need to emphasize uh, that uh, that masking, and we have to emphasize the air aeration or the aerosol risk, uh, and probably less focus on the high contact surfaces than we obsessed with. However, we can't neglect them completely, and I'll ask Heather to kind of address the fact that we can't do that. So in those three areas, we'd like to have you come back to watch our 90-minute program. Uh, the, the introduction will have the focus with now Delta and potentially Lambda and Mu that may be coming down the pipe. Uh, but much of what we delivered almost a year ago hasn't changed. 
However, uh, what, what is critical is this issue of aerosols. What are aerosols? A aerosols are small droplets where, uh, where, where evaporation exceeds gravity. That's where evaporation exceeds gravity and they float in the air for hours and could be pumped through the HVAC systems, the air, AC and heating systems. And the large droplets are what land on what's, uh, what's nearby. So Heather, I'm gonna come back to you right now and just ask you, is there anything else that we need to know about as we think about coming home safely? Heather, are you muted? Yes, I was. Sorry about that. Sure, go ahead. I do it myself. No, I think a lot of you've covered most of everything. Like I said, the narrative has not changed. Um, we we still do obviously wipe down our surfaces, especially your high touch areas. Um, I think there is um, evidence uh, to show that we can still get infected that way. And again, I think. Um, just staying cautious when you're out and about in the six feet radius is still obviously uh, science-based. And, and I think the biggest thing we can drive home right now is, is the vaccinations are critical in um, um, getting us to that herd immunity. So um, yeah, I think just vet your, your sources really well. And um, again, this is not just about one person, it's about everyone. Thank you, Heather. And so we just completed a, a video that's less than 15 minutes in length, uh, and it addresses the latest on masks. And I guess the, the big takeaway, if there's one thing you take away on masks, it, it, it would be you need to upgrade cloth, cloth masks are not cutting it for, for, uh, for the Delta virus. Surgical masks are weak now. They are weak compared to uh, the N95 mask. And, and it's because there's so many more viral particles in somebody who's infected. There's so much more aerosol risk. So uh, in the video, I won't play for this uh, current pre-production program, but one that you'll be able to watch, uh, those of you that are watching this on demand, uh, we will play the uh, video totally updated as of uh, the last few days. And the focus is to move up to the N95 mask, but the three, the three issues, critical issues are filter, fit and finish. Filter at the very least a surgical procedural mask that would be a level three by the ASTM. This is the group that, 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 that assesses products. Uh, why level three? Because it is fluid, most fluid resistant. They measure a number of issues and it filters out about uh, uh, you know uh, you know less than less than 90, 95, uh, but the the other issue is the surgical mask. As you can see, my son Charlie in the middle, you can see where the air gap is on either side of that mask. Whereas with the N95 mask that he's wearing on the left, he has a a, a much better uh, fit there. So uh, the other thing is is that and we have short videotapes. This is a five minute videotape on hand washing and disinfectants. And I think Heather, you would agree with me. We don't discontinue that. We, if if we only had so much money and we had to put it on masks or a uh, fancy alcohol uh, cleaner, we'd probably go with masks now. Whereas we wouldn't know last year. So still, hand washing, soap and water is great. Warm warm water and soap absolutely critical. Um, the risk of on high contact surfaces, we don't know. It's probably less than five percent of the infections, but anybody who gets infected is critical. And one of the things that we mentioned was uh, filter fit and finish. Finish means when you take 
the mask off, don't touch the surface of the mask. It has, if it's a surgical mask or N95, it has an electrostatic charge on it that actually attracts the virus. And so if you wanna, you wanna get a nice dose of virus on your hands, go ahead and go into a, a significantly risky area and then touch the outside of the mask and touch your eyes or your nose and you put yourself at risk. So that's, that's gonna be key. Uh, the third area is keeping the family safe. And I'm going to come back to Chief Adcox, Randy Steiner, uh, and, and Paul Cross and our team uh, of first responder experts after we go through this section. And th this is really right in the sweet spot of threat safety science. It's absolutely critical. And we put this, to get this strategy together actually uh, it way predates even working uh, with uh, the team at Texas Medical Center. This is the focus where our team, my team, uh, has worked over the last 30 years is focusing on the areas of threats, vulnerability, and reducing risk. And so what's really critical here is that when we look at the family unit, we need to recognize the unique characteristics of the family. So when you look at your workers and you're, let's say, Chief, you're in Houston, I'm here in Orange County, Orange County, our infection rate hasn't gone up yet as much as it's gone up in Houston. We, if we were a multinational company, we have to look at the community risk to our families to help decide our behavior. If you have almost zero infections in one one city where you might have a facility and you have a super high infection in another, would it change? Yes, it would. So what are the threats? Well, the threats are the internal threats, the those that are inside the family and those that are outside the family. Your vulnerability, this is your weakness that can be uh, exploited by the threats. So you need to really understand how vulnerable is your employee how vulnerable is your team at UCI, let's say, uh, Randy, and how vulnerable um, are their families? And we know actually here in California that a number of the nurses were getting sick at UCI, not at UCI, they were protected and doing well. It was when they were going home. So the issue is threats times vulnerability equals the risk to the family or the risk to the worker. As we look at that, that's what our goal is. And so, uh, as Dr. Boat said during the recorded session, checklists and a step-by-step -step approach is what we've got to take. Again, this is a sampler. We're not going through the tool. We're telling you, go back to our webinar, watch the program on keeping our kids safe. Step one, identify each family's threat profile. Step two, identify the local threats and risk in the community. Step three, design your plan according to the first two. And step four is, plan the flight and fly the plan. As, as, as a pilot and as someone who had the honor of getting to fly jets for 10 years, I can tell you that plan the flight, fly the plan, my life depended on it on every trip that I took because things happen so rapidly in high-performance aircraft. Well, your, your family is a high-performance organization and your team as a first responder organization or essential working organization are too. So identify the threats to each one of the, the members of the family. Some people have immune compromise. Some people are older. Some people are younger and are not able to be vaccinated. So when we look at pregnant females to those that are over 65, we have to look at the family individually and we have to teach our essential workers. If you've got a single law enforcement officer who lives by himself, that's totally different than somebody who's got five, six people in the family, multi-generational with somebody that's over 65, or in my case, my mom just passed away. She was at 100. 
The outside threats are the infection rate in the community. What tier is your community? What is the risk in your community? If you're in Alaska in a small town and nobody's been infected and everybody's vaccinated, that's totally different than if we're in the south southeast today with the low vaccination rate and a very high infection rate. So these were my numbers when we originally did this course and in Orange County, and our testing positivity rate was 5%. Uh, now, my mom passed away, uh, but let's say she's 100 now. Um, I'm over 65. My wife is in her 50s. I had a teenage youth with uh, multiple cardiac surgeries, and, and he was uh, at risk for hyperimmune reactions to viral infections. Then the next time that we uh, assessed it, it went, it went up. My mom, will say, is still now at 100, and now we look at today, this is the background infection rate today. And if my mom was still with us, um, I would want to consider it if she was living with us. That profile is totally different than one or two law, a law enforcement officer or two young people that have no risk. So it's critical to develop your family safety plan based on information. No plan should be identical. What you do in your behavior, the only consistencies, and I'll come back to you, Heather, as well. We've got to mask up. We've got to be very careful in, in confined spaces. And Chief Adcox, as we think about, and Paul, as we think about your officers in a closed containment, which might be a patrol car, and you have, you have to take somebody into custody, all of a sudden now you're in a small box uh, with uh, air supply. Let's say that it's in the heat of the summer in Houston and you've got to have the air conditioning on. You're in a pretty dangerous environment with aerosol risk. So the same thing happens with the family. So the family should develop their plan accordingly. And we'll talk about the, the plan here uh, uh, in just a minute. But what I'd like to do, and I know Paul, uh, uh, Paul uh, has joined us, is, uh, is to go to Paul Cross. And uh, Paul, we're uh, delighted to have you uh, with us. Uh, many years experience, your assistant chief, uh, along with uh, Chief Adcox, who've had an illustrious career in law enforcement. Uh, and uh, we'd like to hear your perspective on how important it is to take care of your, those that work with you um, and how important it is to make sure that they are taking care of their families. Well, thank you, Dr. Denham. It's a pleasure to be on and, and listen to all this very, very important information as we deal with this pandemic era now. Some of the things that we're doing here in our work environment is we're trying to indoctrinate all of our employees, not just the officers, but our civilians also, to understand that this is a, a family environment. Uh, not only uh, do we need to implement the work protections at work, but all of that uh, makes no difference if they then go home uh, during the 16 hours they're away from work and don't put safety precautions in place and don't protect themselves against COVID. So we talk about that every day with our employees, that they have an obligation to protect themselves, their family, and the workplace, and how important it is for them when they leave the workplace to continue those protections so that they don't risk uh, uh, the employees at work and they don't risk coming back to an environment where they can infect our other employees. So we try to remind everyone that everyone is a safety officer. If they see a gap or leak, they need to recognize that and bring it up immediately. And we do that uh, constantly through emails and through roll call meetings. We also uh, do our roll call meetings outside as opposed to inside uh, where there's better air circulation. We know that uh, the chances of uh, transmission are much lower outside, so we do that. Uh, you mentioned uh, when we have to pick up somebody and take them in a patrol car. 
Uh, we teach our officers, if you have to take, transport someone to patrol cars, no matter how hot it is, uh, roll all windows down. And uh, that's just what we have to do to protect each other and to protect our systems. We've also implemented platoon, platooning of our, our shifts so that we don't have a whole shift go down at one time uh, through cross-contamination. So we have uh, one platoon working the north side of the campus, one platoon working the south side, and they never come in contact with each other. And that is really, really important for our operational readiness. Uh, we also ensure that we have buddy systems so that people, if they feel like there is another officer that may have been exposed to somebody, uh, uh, that officer may be reticent to tell somebody because they don't want to miss work, well, that buddy will report that to the supervisor. But our main thing is ensuring that everybody understands that with all the protections we implement here at work, all of that is for not if they go, then go home and disregard all the protections and don't practice safety precautions. Well, thank you. Thank you, Paul. And I think of note is uh, your background as having an MBA and being a graduate of the FBI National Academy uh, as well. Because you have an MBA and Chief Adcox does as well, uh, there really is a solid business case for doing the things you're talking about, isn't there? Absolutely right. We have to have and maintain business continuity. And that is so important. We talk about operational readiness and business continuity and all of those things we do help us to maintain, maintain those things. Well, thank you. Uh, Bill, what would you like to add to what uh, Paul has said? And then we'll go to Randy and then we'll go to Heather. Oh, no, I, I think Paul covered it really well. And he is particularly uh, positioned to do exactly what he does in making sure the workforce is safe. He, he was actually a, a lead of a, of a county jail with, with thousands of inmates. And he knows what close proximity is. And and what the, uh, the transmission rates are and, and how people are going to react. And so the, the things that, that we've put into place under his leadership have been very successful. We've been very successful in what we're doing. So uh, again, uh, uh, I think everything Paul mentioned is important. And again, his main point was, is that it's all for, for not if you don't continue with those safeguards at home and then teach your family what to do through these materials that, we're, that you're making available through the webinars and online, uh, if you don't use these materials and you don't put these plans in place, you're just exposing yourself and your family and, and others. So uh, yes, I, I agree with everything Paul said. So Bill, uh, you both have MBAs and, and we, we often, because we are so blessed to get to work with you all and Mayo Clinic number one and US News and World Report and you know everybody throws down these reputational things, but isn't it safe to say this isn't too costly that really any organization, if they're thoughtful about it, this, this isn't that expensive just because you're MD Anderson. I, I know a lot would say, well, they're MD Anderson, we can't do it or they're Mayo Clinic or they're UCI. Uh, you know, they can do it because they have resources, but we can't do it. Is it fair chief to say that, that this is not that costly to take care of your staff? Well, my take is, is that you cannot afford not to do it. If your personnel gets sick and, and you're gonna be absorbing those health costs, you're gonna to have to backfill these employees. If you have frontline nurses, they're not there. Someone's gotta care for the patients. Somebody's gotta care for, for the security checkpoints. Somebody's gotta do these things. So the work doesn't stop in hospitals. Hospitals operate at almost 100% operations, but even colleges and businesses, you're not gonna make a product. You're not gonna sell a product. You're not gonna service your, your clientele. We're not going to be able to respond to an act of violence in the community 
we're not going to be able to do the things we're doing if we don't have healthy employees. So the, the, there is there is uh, there's huge costs in not doing it. Uh, that's the way I look at it. And, and let me add that there's a cost benefit analysis to this. If, if we have a, a couple of our officers out, uh, we have to bring in other officers in on overtime. And there's a cost to that, a significant cost. So it's all about cost management, uh, which to go along with the safety measures we put in place, because we certainly don't want to add on costs by having our officers out uh, due to COVID. Great. That's a good point, too, because, you know, people can only work so much overtime. You know, you're going to start having very tired employees and they're going to miss things. Uh, they're they're going to be slower to react. The safety goes way down. Randy could talk to that. It's just it's just not a good position to be in. Fantastic, Randy. What would you like to add add, add to that? You're muted right now, but would love to hear your thoughts. I'll get this Zoom thing down eventually. Um, I really want to go back to a couple of, of points that you made, Chuck. I thought were really great. You know, this concept of the hot, warm, cold zones in terms of our protective actions from COVID. It brings me back to my my hazmat nuclear emergency response days when we would, you know, in an event we would establish those zones. While those zones are always going to be there and they're based on, you know, the, the threat of exposure, you know, we always got to remember, once again, I think just to reiterate what we've all been saying throughout all of these, these webinars is that you, you can change the protective uh, characteristics of those zones by taking, you know, simple basic measures. You'd never go into a, a hot zone in a hazmat or a nuclear incident without respiratory protection, without proper turnouts, without proper monitoring equipment, things like that. You know, it's the same thing with COVID. You know, when we're when we identify these zones, which you 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 very specifically and clearly identified in, in your graphics a little earlier. You know, taking those precautions, just like a firefighter going into a hazmat situation. You know, if you're in a car, you put on a mask. You're you're increasing your protective factor by by a lot. You know, when you go into a nuclear incident, if you're a first responder, you take you know potassium iodide or some kind of medication to to prevent you know, that exposure from becoming a, a health issue, just like the vaccine does. So it's, it's a great analogy, you know, that comes from that, that, that hazardous material emergency response and really applies it right to the family uh, COVID protective measures that I think is, is, is just a, a great way to present that to people. Um, the other thing I'd, I'd really like to touch on is, is these planning efforts that you have. You know, this goes right into emergency management and emergency preparedness. The same things we're doing for, you know, earthquake preparedness or fire preparedness or, or any other type of disaster preparedness. It's the same principles for COVID that everybody needs to remember. Develop your plan. Develop your plan for the family. Develop your plan for travel. Develop your plan for going out in the world. But remember that, you know, good plans they're, they're flexible, they're adaptable, and they're scalable, you know, so make sure that as you develop those plans, you take into account the possibility of contingencies and make your plan that it's, it's not in so much detail that you can't, you know, quickly adjust to the situation. COVID is changing so rapidly and it's evolving so rapidly. And, you know, we're, we're as a society, we're, we're charging forward or trying to get to this this, this balance between getting back to our lives, but still taking into account this disease, this deadly disease, which is still ravaging this, the entire world. Um, so when you develop those plans, take that into account. Remember that uh, flexible, adaptable, and scalable 
as you do those plans and you know be prepared that that when things change you may have to pivot but if you have a good plan that takes those elements into account you'll you'll be able to to adapt to the situation randy terrific thank you so much i'm so glad we have this on uh, recorded thank you gentlemen really really great uh, great comments uh, heather what would you like to add to what you've heard from a clinical perspective uh, of what you've heard them say Well, I'd, I'd have to agree. We just experienced this, um, and I'm sure many other hospitals have and clinics have. We had nurses out. Again, um, the Achilles heel, as you mentioned, Chuck, was um, infected by a family member. And, you know, that nurse is now, she got her first vaccine. <laughs> so if anything, it's it's causing people to reconsider and, um so yeah, this is crucial. We had a lot of nurses coming in on overtime. And so all these efforts to mitigate um, cross-contamination, it's crucial to, to, uh, to the monetary losses as, as you all mentioned. So it's not just um, flattening the curve, making sure that we're not transmitting the virus. It extends well beyond that. And again, the narrative has not changed. Thank you, Heather. That's terrific. And you all really have led into uh, why it's so important that we uh, that we create that family safety plan. And so we have worked very carefully. We want to let everyone know on a, our toolbox that we have actually three 90-minute programs focused on this, working with Dr. Boats very closely uh, on the family uh, health safety plan. And thank you, Randy, for your comments regarding uh, the flexibility and the scalability and adaptability. First off is, and we go through this in detail and we won't today. Again, this is a sampling menu for those of you that will want to take a deep dive. And we have templates and examples, but the first is readiness. Being ready if somebody gets exposed. I, we were ready when they called and said my son was exposed to a close contact, but oh, it's only because Bill, as you said, without this program, I would I would not have really had readiness. And here I'm a safety guy. Um, response: knowing how to respond when the emergency happens and know what's the difference between isolation and quarantine and close contact and why do you get a test and what kind of test do you get and how long will Charlie have to stay away from school and being being able uh, to be able to respond when that happens and when the crisis hits and you get that phone call. Um, uh, you have a problem. One of our wonderful young men who's on the phone uh, here uh, today, who's an EMT, had a had an accident over the weekend that threatened uh, uh, threatened his eye, and we were ready to know who to get a hold of. Randy and UCI did a beautiful job of helping address uh, an injury that could have been serious, but it was only that we were ready to respond and knew you know where to push the buttons. Rescue. Rescue is absolutely critical now. Uh, I've got three friends with breakthrough infections right now. I've got one I'm very concerned about with uh, measuring oxygen saturations and trying to make sure, you know, what would we need to do and when would we need to do it? And rescue is critical when we think about taking people to the hospital. I can tell you that I have a, a colleague who took her father to the hospital with the family. They love grandpa. Uh, grandpa had COVID. Grandpa died in the ICU. And 
the whole family got sick and they're all at risk for long, long haul. So knowing what to do and then recovery, um, we just talked about the long haul and what the potential risk is. It's enormous. And I have friends right now I'm helping with that have long haul that can't get into the long haul COVID clinics. And so this is a serious, really serious. And then resilience. And, uh, and we'll talk about this as we, when we wrap up, uh, Bill and, and, and Randy and Paul, resilience is what we say in the field that you and you and I work in is target hardening. How do we harden the target to potential threats? What can we do? How can we learn from the three P's or the four P's and that one of them being uh, uh, being uh, learning from and performance improvement? This eye chart, we break down this eye chart in one of our courses. What is the checklist for each one of these areas? Readiness, response, rescue, recovery, and resilience. Go back and watch it. We took the most common scenarios that you're going to face with your employee, with their families, and we just and we broke it out and developed what would your actions be for any of the scenarios of whether they get sick, whether they don't, whether they're infected, whether they're not, whether you have to take them to the hospital, and what would you do for response, rescue, recovery, and resilience, and broke that down. Every family needs to customize a checklist to be able to know what to do. Now, you're probably saying, oh, fed with a fire hose, I couldn't do that, that sounds too much. Listen, if you're not ready for these scenarios, which are in our grid, you're gonna have a problem because this Delta is a killer. We've never run into anything like this before. So I think it's absolutely critical that we uh, are aware of, of that being uh, an important factor. Um, as we, as we uh, now look at uh, uh, practicing the family plan, um, last Christmas, uh, and it was Thanksgiving, we knew we were heading into just what we're heading into right now with Labor Day. We're heading into people saying, don't get families together. We heard CDC yesterday say, don't travel for, uh, don't travel. People are going to travel. We knew that. So uh, my son, Charlie, uh, and David Bashkar, award-winning educator, and incidentally, the guy that saved the first life with MedTech before we even graduated the first class using the recovery position, uh, David Bashkar and Charlie got together. Uh, we started MedTech in 2015. This is the first class, actually, of, uh, of uh, uh, Cub Scouts that were heading into Boy Scouts, uh, learning how to use tourniquets. Watch our video on the CFO, the chief family officer, somebody, as Randy, as you've said, somebody, you, you know, you got to have a plan. It's got to be adaptable. It's got to be flexible, but somebody's got to own the plan. And we want to challenge every employee to say, for your family or your household, whether you're two college students or whether you're a family at 10 with grandma at 100, like my mom was before she passed away, you really need to be able to follow a checklist. And so practice is something that Dr. Boats has taught us, deliberative practice. So this checklist was put together regarding getting together. Okay, a lot of us are going to get together no matter what. What would we do to get together to reduce our potential risk? as we go forward. And that's, uh, and that's what uh, was put together. And you can see we had, a, we had a family visit us last Thanksgiving. Charlie is leading that, the, uh, the, the focus, the focus on reducing uh, aer uh, aerosol risk, the bathroom, keeping the windows open, hand washing, keeping our distance, and nobody got sick. So this is something our youth can lead. And Randy, when I come back to you um, as one of our esteemed scout leaders, how important it is for us to teach in teams, scouts, schools, 
whatever, our, our kids can really lead that. So we'd like to make sure that you have a chance to watch this 14 minute video. Um, and and uh, and it will help you if you uh, if you want to do something for your essential workers, as you know they're going to get together. Hey, have them watch the video. We got it out to, to eighteen thousand scout families over the holidays, and uh, no pushback, no negatives. Heather, we're coming to your sweet spot now. Providing care at home. It's critical to recognize that healthy kids are getting sick. Healthy kids. Healthy adolescents, healthy young people are dying. The 20-year-old on the right was in quarantine. Somebody didn't get a test result back to her. They found her dead in her, uh, in her college dorm. 13-year-old was in quarantine, like my son who's 15, was in quarantine, dead 19 days later. So important to recognize it. So Heather and I worked days and days while she was acting as a nurse preventionist, uh, infection preventionist in Colorado, in rural Colorado. And I have to admire her so much because I could hear her talking to the families that were scared to death that had COVID. And this was a year ago. Uh, and we worked uh, very closely with Dr. Boats to take the checklist for isolation rooms in the hospital and actually turn them into a checklist to take care of someone sick at home. I have a neighbor, he's 86 years of age. They're having to follow this kind of checklist right now uh, uh, to keep the rest of the family from getting sick. So Heather, I'll go through these and then ask you to kind of respond and come back to everybody. But uh, what we did was we put together the checklists that are defined by NIH and CDC on how to, how to put together an isolation room in a hospital. So Randy, if we were to take a hospital room in UCI and we had to turn it into an isolation room, how the heck would we do it? We took that and said, okay, if we took a room in a house and we had to turn it into an isolation room to take care of somebody, what would we do? So Heather, our checklist is rock solid, reviewed it carefully as you and I discussed this morning. However, the September 21 update is, 2021 update is aerosol risk is much greater. Aerosol viral particles can linger in the air for hours. Uh, our motto is don't dare share air. Ventilation, absolutely critical, way more important than it was last year. Less emphasis on high contact surfaces, less worry with pets, but the issue is we don't neglect the high contact surfaces. So this is a checklist for selecting a room in your house to care for somebody. Here's a checklist for setting that room up. How do you set it up? Again, aerosol risk is key. Uh, we highlighted for 2021, we need thermometers and uh, we're recommending pulse oximeters to everybody. We say, get a pulse oximeter. Dr. Ch uh, Chris Fox from UCI said, look, have them have a uh, you know an off-the-shelf pulse oximeter. You can buy them on Amazon. You can buy them on Walmart.com. Uh, we use the Innova one. We have no relationship with anybody, but we bought 30 or 40 of them. We've deployed them to our teams, and uh, they allow us to measure the oxygen content in the blood and the pulse. This these are two factors that your doctor will want to know if they can to decide whether you head to the to the to the emergency department or not. Uh, and then the uh, supply checklist, the, the recommendations are to move up from cloth. Cloth masks are not going to protect you from, from Delta. Uh, yesterday, I visited somebody and I took, I, I pulled out uh, N95 masks that I had in the car and I said, please take those off, put these on. Uh, you're my friends. I want you to protect yourself. The level three ASTM level three procedure surgical masks that most of us have been using in the hospitals they, have, they offer some protection, but if you're taking care of somebody at home who's got COVID or you have COVID, 
you need an N95 mask on the patient and on you to make sure that you don't uh, spread this uh, very lethal disease. And if KN95 masks, the KN95 means that the regulatory uh, requirements are the Chinese requirements. Now, they look pretty reasonable. The problem is that, that there's very little regulation as to whether they inspect them. So many of our hospitals got burned by buying KN95 masks and realizing that they were not up to snuff. The, on our website and in our video on masks, we talk about the two serial numbers that, uh, that the clinicians we work with say are safe. And then finally, uh, the home team care uh, issues on laundry processes, cleaning the home, and upon returning home, we're putting less priority on the disinfection station, but still have one. Our doctors that work with, with uh, coronavirus patients are taking everything off, putting them in a contaminated bag, washing it. Uh, and Heather, we'd like to maybe have you uh, uh, tell us uh, where we might emphasize things and what Randy could tell the team at UCI, what Chief Adcox could tell, uh, and, uh, and Paul could tell those folks at MD Anderson and those that are listening that uh, work with the first responders. Heather, uh, anything you'd like to kind of emphasize regarding, I think our checklists are rock solid. The question is, what would you emphasize? Sorry, I'm just unmuting there. Uh, Chuck, I think, you know, nothing like I said has changed beyond what you, you mentioned about the aerosol um, and obviously the importance of vaccination now that we have that. However, I will say I'm still seeing patients that we do admit, uh, COVID or not COVID, um, you know, their masks that they're bringing in, I can tell are old, they haven't been washed. Um, I, I just, I don't know what that is. I, you know, to me that if, again, not many people have access or are not willing to buy the surgical masks. So for them, cloth mask is, is as far as you're going to get me to wear a mask, wash it every day and put it like a drop of Clorox in there, wash it with your load. Um, it, it doesn't hurt to kind of be vigilant with that. Um, and then I think driving home just you know, earlier when we talked about the resilience and just being able to take care of one another, especially at the front end of healthcare, we are so tired. <laughs> and then to, to be careless just taxes us even more. And I think that's where we just got to be considerate um, toward one another. Just wanted to put that out there, Chuck. But I think our checklists are foolproof right now. As long as everyone just follows them, um, hopefully we can see each other through this pandemic. Thank you, Heather. And thank you for all the work. Uh, many hours uh, you and I and Dr. Boats put in on, uh, on the checklist. And I was really delighted to see that there's very little other than emphasis that we would change on them. So we highly recommend people watch that 90 minute video and think about the emphasis. We're going to wrap up through uh, the next few minutes and go back to our, our panel and also Jennifer Dingman, uh, our patient advocate. But one of the most important things that, you, that we all need to understand is if somebody is sick, they've got COVID and you've got to get them to the emergency department, there's a lot that you've got to do to protect the family. And that's critical. You, if you've 
if you could all uh, you know if you get if you have the n95 mask great if you got a surgical mask put a cloth mask over it you've seen a number of our leaders uh who now are double masking and we understand that people in the white house are double masking as well and and so you might wear a cloth mask over the surgical mask the surgical mask uh can can protect about 90 about 75 percent uh, um, uh, in and out the mat, the cloth mask about two ply is about 60% Add 60% to 75% with a good fit. And, uh, and you, you've really increased the potential benefit. Um, Dr. Christopher Peabody is associate professor of emergency medicine. He's the director of the innovation center at UCSF. And Dr. Peabody helped me as I put together the design of what's called the five rights of emergency care. Again, I'm not going to play the video so we can wrap up with our shorter form today, but we want you to watch this and we address go to the right provider. You don't go to an urgent care center if somebody's really sick. You've got to go to the major medical center where your medical records are. The right diagnosis is getting the right testing. Frequently, people are coming back, and you need to go to the place where they've got the prior baseline tests. The right treatment are covered in the video, and Dr. Peabody really emphasizes the right discharge. So as we look at discharge, and you see a little bit more detail on the slide, uh, here, as we look at the at at, at uh, discharge, uh, what's really important are what are called discharge precautions. Right here, this is one of the biggest areas that we have a problem, and we need to emphasize to uh, our central workers that if you have to go to the emergency department, make sure you find out what when you go back, who you see, because this is where the wheels fall off of uh, uh, off of care. And the other piece is we know so many people who have gotten sick because they went and took somebody to the emergency department and sat with them without a mask. Um, when you take somebody, wear a mask, windows down, mask the sick person, the mask is not gonna hurt their breathing. This is a lot of bogus stuff out on the web. Have them wear a mask, you wear a mask, windows down, charge your phones. It, depending on the hospital and where you are, you might have to wait in the parking lot. Make sure your phone is charged. Make sure they've got a phone uh, when, they're, when they're there. Make sure you have a really good communication uh, as you go through it. If you've got a shield, you see the shield that I'm wearing in the back of my uh, wife's car. Um, great. Wear the eye shield. We, uh, you, know, you know you've got somebody that's got uh, disease. And then Dr. Boats uh, undertook a, a really wonderful uh, program with us uh, on what to do when your family member is in the ICU. It's critical that you keep communication flowing and keep your family members encouraged. Uh, we have a short video that's about eight minutes. It covers what a respirator is and what ECMO is. ECMO is the artificial lung that you might have to go on to be able to do the uh, oxygen exchange. And we recommend that in your toolbox. And, and then next to last is the long haulers and COVID recovery. It is absolutely critical that everybody understands the enormous, enormous risk for long haul disease. And uh, Bill, you and Randy and Paul and, and, um, and Heather, you know, we are a number of our nurses, our frontline law enforcement officers, our EMS providers uh, are suffering from long haul disease. 
uh, fatigue is a killer. It's a killer on the job. When you've got a dangerous job, fatigue is a killer. Just look at these numbers that have been released in the last couple of weeks. A Time article gives you a high level feel. The Lancet article is the medical article. Uh, and it, it is the largest long-term study of COVID patients. And I can tell you that I know people that are falling down in the shower that were formerly athletes uh, who, can, who can't even have their normal daily life. So this is pretty dangerous stuff. Finally, Bill, uh, you and I have been working for years with Greg uh, on the issues of the four Ps. When we look at a threat stream, when we look at the threat stream coming at us, and they might be multiple threats, um, uh, the four Ps are critical, and these uh, these are important for us to understand. We covered it in one of our, in one of our webinars. And what can we do for our family in terms of prevention? Primary prevention is to keep from getting COVID. Secondary prevention is to prevent harm from COVID. That might be long haul preparedness. And Randy, you really articulated beautifully why a plan is so important and being prepared. Protection, and, and Bill, perhaps when I come to you, you can reemphasize the issue of uh, left of boom, preventing the, what can happen. Protection isn't the only thing. So as I sum up and I, and I, and I, and I come to our close to come to uh, all of you to kind of uh, uh, you know, get your final comments and, and, and Jenny Dingman's comments, um, we have a survive and thrive guide roadmap. We're going to continue to produce these courses every month until the crisis is over. And if it's two years, we're just going to keep doing it. And we've covered the best practices uh, in our webinar in the first part of the year. Now we've tied it to the actions and the plan. And if you were to map all of the topics I just covered against the four Ps. And Bill, I'd love to have you kind of frame what the four Ps are and why they're important. Um, uh, we, we kind of said, okay, well, how would they fit in what we're doing? And, and so finally, I come back to what, what we started with. And what we started with, and it looks, there we go, is, uh, is there a role for the chief health security officer? Bill, you're so blessed to have uh, have Dr. Boats to be your chief health security officer. Uh, but every organization, whether they're a medical center at MD Anderson or whether they're a yogurt shop or whether they're uh, a family of two, uh, a family household of two college students, you not only need to have for an organization, somebody who is working on the plan and, and helping practice the plan, but also for the family, until we're through this COVID crisis and these waves of these variants, um, it's our belief that somebody's got to take charge. Somebody has to grab the bull by the horns and put together, even if it's the most simple plan, and I know I've, I'm often accused of feeding people with a fire hose, but this is serious stuff. I'm a cancer doctor. When I would see a patient, I just didn't take care of one symptom and say, hey, I'll see you in a month. I had to take care of their cancer and their symptoms, and I had to take care of all of them, and that's how complicated this is. So as we think about the chief health security officer and Paul will come back to you and 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 um, and chief on, on on that and we look at your officers those that work for you these are common things that are happening and Heather they're happening to your nurses uh, all the time and somebody's got to understand this chart when do you quarantine what do you do when do you test what's going on and Delta is a very 
very serious pathogen. So let me come back to uh, Chief uh, Adcox uh, first, uh, then Randy, then Paul, uh, and then we'll go to you, Jenny, for your comments, and then back to Heather, and then back to Jenny for closing. So Chief Adcox. Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Dr. Dunn. Uh, you, you asked about protection and the uh, four Ps. Uh, I think the best thing to think about that is, is, is that there's a performance improvement piece to each one. That's the fourth P. Um, protection in, in our business is actually is wearing the mask, getting the vaccine, you know, ballistic vests, radiation detectors, et cetera. I mean, it's being that you, you know, in, you know putting up the shields, uh, doing the things that you have to do, putting those protective measures in place, getting, getting left of the boom is, is all of the things that you do in prevention, all the things you do as you prepare, everything you can do to prevent having a crisis or a situation. Uh, so that's very important. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody. It's been a great deal. Those of you that follow the NFL, National Football League, we're getting ready to start the season, obviously. Um, just so you all know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not particularly my favorite team, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, are 100% vaccinated, the entire team and all the support staff there. So, you know, that's a good example. We don't always hear that from, from places, but I think one of the things that we have to remember is there's reference groups and reference groups is really what's keeping people from getting vaccinated. It might be an affiliation, it might be whatever, but it's a reference group. And if we can utilize this team as a, as a sample, an example to encourage people to get vaccinated, I certainly hope we can. But uh, I wanna thank everybody for letting me participate and I'll turn it back over to you, Dr. Denham. Thank, thank you, Bill, and thank you for your great leadership uh, in threat safety science and helping push us towards a, a future where these emerging threats, uh, we had 30 emerging threats three years ago that we put together a community of practice and sort of put a survey together, and one of them was pandemics, and who knew that we would spend 15 or 16 months you know, battling this? So uh, 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 Assistant Chief Paul Cross, what would you like to add to what, uh, what the chief has said? Well, you know, I've spent 38 years in law enforcement and the vast majority of that time I've spent uh, working to protect our officers uh, in the street, tactical uh, defenses and officer safety tactics. But now in the pandemic era, I'm spending more time protecting them from this, this horrible virus and getting the information out and ensuring that our officers think about that because that we have the county uh, morgue across the street from us. And unfortunately we've had uh, four or five funerals just in the last month from county officers in our region who have died from COVID. Uh, more officers died from COVID last year, three times the amount than did from gunfire knives. So you're absolutely right. This is so crucial. This Delta virus is, is, so, is, so, uh, is so contagious that that is our main uh, hemisphere now. And to add on what, uh, what Chief Adcock said, uh, you know, they, they uh, Tampa Bay, they're 100% for a reason. They've got a great leader. Uh, we, we're very fortunate we have a great leader in Chief Adcox who pushes this out. Uh, but that's what we need. We need people to, to take the lead, convince people who are not vaccinated to get vaccinated, and convince people to take all the safety measures they can. 
Well, thank you so much. And uh, Paul, thank you for uh, providing such a perspective of your many years of experience. And, and thank you and Chief for helping us emphasize the financial issue. We know no bucks, no Buck Rogers. We can make a good business case for what we're talking about. And we really appreciate you helping us make that case. Randy, uh, what would you like to add? And, and as a lead director of emergency preparedness, we love the fact that you bring the perspective of multiple different threats and how many common denominators that you see. What's your message to folks in your role in companies? They might not be at a medical center, but these threats are facing all of our companies across the nation. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, Chuck, I, I, I'd like to say that I'm really glad that I drafted quite a few Tampa Bay players into my fantasy league this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy for that. Um, but going to, you know, the, 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 the planning response, rescue recovery, those, those, those things mirror, and I'm sure that you, you know that they, they mirror the, the, what we call the planning cycle for emergency preparedness or planning response, mitigation, recovery. Um, you know, it's the same basic concepts. And I've always looked at that, you know, cause this concept of resilience kind of, came in you know, fairly recently into the conversation of, of emergency management. And I look at it with it, it's a cycle of those things, you know, like you had in your diagrams. And when you, when you put all those things together, you know, the dome that fits over it is what I, I refer to as resilience. When you have all those pieces in place and you've got a plan for all those things, that's when you're truly resilient. And that's what we all as our family, our plans, our, our companies, um, you know, need to do is develop that resilience that is really going to be what's going to shield us, you know, from the, 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 the very worst effects of, of, of the virus and the pandemic and get us to that point where we can continue to operate and keep our staff and our families safe and, and you know, move forward and keep the, you know, the, the, the work that we're doing in this country moving. Um, you know, on, the, on the, the part of the planning too, and you kind of touched on this as well, is that, you know, a plan can be the greatest plan around. You know, it'd be the best, most concise plan that's ever been written. If it sits in a desk drawer, it doesn't do anybody any good. So when you're developing those plans, you know, get all your people involved, whether it's a company, whether it's a family, whether it's a university, get all those people involved in the development of that plan so that they know what's in it. And they, they know what to expect and how to carry that out. And then the other piece of the emergency management structure is a super important concept of exercise, drilling, making sure that you get that plan out and that you work it with everybody. You go through scenarios and you make sure that your families or your communities or your, your businesses understand not just what's in the plan, but how that plan is going to be carried out under different scenarios. Remember, flexibility, adaptability, scalability is so important in that process. And if we could keep that with all that, the, the, the preparedness cycle, training and exercise and development of plans, we're going to be okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Randy. And uh, thank you for such a, a you know, concise and eloquent uh, framing. I, uh, Bill, we're going to have to use that dome idea for resilience as we think about uh, the family plans. What a great metaphor. It's fantastic. Um, uh, Jenny Dingman, uh, we know you came on a little bit late. What would you like to, to add as our voice of the patient uh, uh, before we go to Heather Foster? And then we'll come back to you, Jenny, for closing thoughts. But I want to give you a chance as an expert reactor, as a patient advocate. Thank you, Dr. Denham. Um, this was a wonderful program. Um, every single family in America needs to have a plan. And I think your material and your wisdom here today shared with the audience was just really wonderful. Um, 
the whole cost of, of the COVID is something that's kind of been at the back of my mind all along. So I'm so glad that you all explained that so well. I just wish the media would kind of put that out there so people would take this more seriously and, and mask up, get the vaccine, and we can move forward again as a country and put this behind us if that would just happen. I encourage everybody here to please share this uh, with your families, friends, colleagues, and, and just continue to support us by listening to our webinars and, and communicating with us. Send us your comments. And um, yeah, thank you to all of our speakers. This was one of the greatest of, well, they're all great, but thank you very much. And I'll give it back to you, Dr. Denham. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Jenny. And, and uh, thank you for that. That's your usual so eloquent closing comments. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, Heather, uh, what are your thoughts? What would you, how, well, how would you like to close us? We may have lost Heather, so I'll. Uh, so Jenny, uh, thank you for closing us. I just like to. Uh, uh, I'd like to draw your attention uh, now that we're, uh, we're we're wrapping up. I'd like to thank all of our speakers, but I'd like to uh, let you know that uh, that tomorrow uh, this article will be published by Chief Adcox, uh, uh, Dr. Boats, Charlie, and I regarding the Take a Shot, Save a Life uh, campaign and vaccination and. Um, it, the video will is something families can use to be able to kind of have the discussions and address the FAQs. And this is not to poke the anti-vaxxer community or those that are negative on vaccines. It's for those that are on the fence that just want to know a little more about the science and, and know a little bit more about what uh, uh, what's important about vaccinations. And so uh, uh, it's really just a, a great pleasure now to, uh, to thank all of you uh, for everything that you've uh, uh, contributed. Uh, Chief Adcox, thank you for your steadfast uh, support of uh, the program and what you're doing with your officers, Paul, for bringing your wealth of experience to us. Uh, Randy, thank you for the great, uh, great insights from emergency preparedness and Heather for her just enormous body of work that she's put together and Dr. Boats, who's taking care of some of the sickest patients on the planet today uh, in the ICU. And, um, and not, not least, uh, 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 Jennifer Dingman. Jennifer, you've been the voice of the patient from the very beginning, and we thank you for doing that. So God bless all of you. We always say we're going to fight the good fight. Uh, finish the race and keep the faith. We always say that uh, that everybody can be a patient, uh, and uh, and everybody uh, can be a caregiver. And we hope that all of you uh, uh, will do so. So we'll see you next month. Thank you so much, everyone.